This is day 64 of our daily Bible reading plan. We'll be completing 2 Kings chapters 3 through 7. Lord, Heavenly Father, you are a righteous God. You are so just, so mighty. You're jealous. You're jealous for us. And you want us to be zealous for you in return. And that zeal, that jealousy for you and your name and your standards, that we may be that today. That not only is it a change of our own heart, but Lord, that you would inspire us to be this way. Please soften our hearts today and, and draw it closer to you. Please allow this time to be peaceful and for us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the eighteenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned twelve years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and his mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal which his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and used to pay the king of Israel one hundred thousand lambs and the wool of one hundred thousand rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will, go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. He said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, The way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they made a circuit of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, No. For the Lord has called these three kings together to give them into the hand of Moab. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. He said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, 
You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, both you and your cattle and your beasts. This is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. Then you shall strike every fortified city and every choice city, and fell every good tree and stop all springs of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones. It happened in the morning, about the time of offering the sacrifice, that, behold, water came by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Now all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, and all who were able to put on armor and older were summoned and stood on the border. They rose early in the morning, and the sun shone on the water, and the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. Then they said, This is blood. The kings have surely fought together, and they have slain one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites arose and struck the Moabites, so that they fled before them, and they went forward into the land, slaughtering the Moabites. Thus they destroyed the cities, and each one threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. So they stopped all the springs of water and filled all the good trees, until in Kir Hareseth only they left its stones. However, the slingers went about it and struck it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him seven hundred men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. They took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, 
he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please, let us make a little walled upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that we can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. He said to him, Say now to her, Behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live among my own people. So he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Truly, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, At this season next year you will embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father to the reapers. He said to his father, My head, my head. And he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon, and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It will be well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me until I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him, and if anyone salutes you, do not answer him, and lay my staff on the lad's face. The mother of the lad said, As the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her.
Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him, The lad has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself on him and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him. And the lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, Take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground, and she took up her son and went out. When Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was a famine in the land. As the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Put on a large pot, and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one went out into the field to gather herbs, and found a wild vine, and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds, and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, for they did not know what they were. So they poured it out for the men to eat. And as they were eating of the stew, they cried out and said, O oh, man of God, there is death in this pot. And they were unable to eat. But he said, Now bring meal. He threw it into the pot and said, Pour it out for the people that they may eat. Then there was no harm in the pot. Now a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. His attendant said, What, will I set this before a hundred men? But he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master, and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands, and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, 
And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now, and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored, like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When he returned to the man of God with all his company, and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. In this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant, when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him some distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, thought, Behold, my master has spared this Naaman the Aramean by not receiving from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? He said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. 
Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Naaman said, Be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them before him. When he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and deposited them in the house, and he sent the men away, and they departed. So he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place before you where you were living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he said, I shall go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was filling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. He said, Take it for yourself. So he put out his hand and took it. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that him he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of chariots and horses of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. When they came to Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of Israel. Now it came about after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver, and a fourth of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. And the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, and a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king! He said, If the Lord does not help you, from where shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the winepress? And the king said to her, What is the matter with you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So he boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. Then he said, May God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat remains on him today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man from his presence. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door, and hold the door shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? While he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him, and he said, Behold, this evil is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? 
Then Elisha said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. The royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live, and if they kill us, we will but die. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. They, when they came to the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord has caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight, and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes, and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent, and carried from there also, and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come. Let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Arameans, and behold, there was no one there, nor the voice of man, only the horses tied and the donkeys tied, and the tents just as they were. The gatekeepers called and told it within the king's household. Then the king arose in the night and said to his servants, I will now tell you what the Arameans have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore they have gone from the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we will capture them alive and get into the city. One of his servants said, Please let some men take five of the horses which remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they will be in any case like the, all the multitude of Israel who are left of it. Behold, they will be in any case like all the multitude of Israel who have already perished. So let us send and see. They took therefore two chariots with horses, and the king sent after the army of the Arameans, saying, Go and see. They went after them to the Jordan, and behold, all the way was full of clothes and equipment, 
which the Arameans had thrown away in their haste. Then the messengers returned and told the king. So the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. Then a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king appointed the royal officer on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king came out to him. It happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel, will be sold tomorrow about this time at the gate of Samaria. Then the royal officer answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled on him at the gate, and he died. So now we see the many exploits and adventures of Elisha, and as we said last time, he did more miracles than any other prophet until the time of Jesus. And so he is an amazing man, and he definitely did have double portion of Elijah's spirit. So we see what he did during his time, and it starts off with an alliance with three kings, with Judah, with Israel, and with Edom, and they're going to attack Moab. And after seven days of travel, they had no water, and they were starting to get scared as to what we're supposed to do, because this doesn't seem like it's working. And then Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, remembers that there is a prophet, and that, was, that is Elisha. And so they seek him out, and we see that King Jehoram, you know, the son of Ahab, blames God for all this. And even Elisha says, why do you come to me? You don't care about the Lord. Why don't you go to the prophets of your, your parents, your pagan prophets? Surely, since you worship their gods, they can help you. But he said, because you have the king of Judah here, and he is a good man, I will do this thing for you. What Elisha asked God to do is to flood all of the ditches in the area around the Moabite army. The sun was shining onto the water, made it look like it was blood for some reason. I don't know how, but that was a miracle that God performed. And so they were like, oh, wow, we came out here, and it looks like they just destroyed each other. So let's just go ahead and go in there and take the spoil. And they were ready for them. And so when they went in there, it was a destruction. It was a slaughter. And they were victorious. Then we see a story with, just like his master, Elijah, he's now going to help a widow. So the first one is one of the wives of the sons of the prophets, you know, her husband died, and now she's a widow, and she doesn't know how to take care of herself. There's apparently creditors. They had debt that she could not pay, so in those days, what would often happen is someone would get sold into slavery. And in this case, her two children was getting, were going to get sold into slavery, 
because she couldn't pay her bills. And so he performed the miracle of the oil with her, multiplying it. She would pour out the oil she had left in her jar into as many vessels as she could find. And oil was pretty expensive in those days. So oil sold for a lot of money. Basically, the moral of this story was that God's supply for us is as large as our faith and our obedience. So we don't just leave it up to our imaginations to limit God's power. God's ability to do anything is well beyond our imagination. But sometimes we try to limit God through our expectation and through the extent of our imagination. And that's and sometimes he works with that. But our faith should be without bounds. We ourselves are limited, but our belief in a God who can do all things should not be limited. And then we show that when Elisha went through Shunem, there was a woman there who wanted to take care of him, you know, give him a place to stay, give him something to eat every time he passed by. And so they made a room for him. And he wanted to repay her kindness. And, I mean, she was pretty, it seems to be she was pretty well off. And so he's like, I don't know what to give her as a thank you. And Gehazi, the uh, servant of Elisha, is like, well, they don't have kids. Maybe you can give them a kid. And so he's like, all right. So he said, next year you're going to have a kid. And she was like, no, 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 no. Don't lie to me. And then she conceived and had a kid. <laughs> so, wait a minute. Okay. So that happened. But then a few years later, he was the, the little boy went out to his dad and was saying, my head, my head. And we don't really know exactly what it was, but maybe it was a like a, like a heat stroke or something like that. But then the kid died. But her response was very interesting. She saw that he died. And this is the proper response, because you could contrast this with the, the woman that, that uh, Elijah helped, right? That the, the flour never ran out, the little jar of oil never ran out, so they never went hungry. And then when the child died, she was freaking out. And then after the child was revived, now I believe that you were a man of God, right? Remember that story. But see how it contrasts with this one. How does this woman respond? The child died, right? So she put him on the bed, shut the door, and said, I'm going to go see the man of God. And they're like, why, why are you going to go to him? There's no special holiday right now. And she said, it's going to be fine. Do you see that faith? It's going to be fine? She trusted Elisha so much and trusted God so much that she had confidence that he had the ability to bring him back from the dead? Do you see how much different those stories are? But you know what's interesting, though? God did it both times. You know, faith isn't the only thing that is required for something to happen. Because you can have faith in anything, really, right? But it's all in God's sovereign will. And for the sake of Elijah, he probably did it. But we see that in the time of Jesus, too. He healed people that wanted to be healed, 
yes, right? But he also sometimes healed people that did not ask to be healed. Or maybe even did not want to be healed. But he did it anyway. That is an exercise of God's sovereign will. And she reminds him, saying that, I remember what I told you, that I told you not to lie to me. And then I, you did something I did not expect, and now I believe you no matter what. And Elisha didn't even know what was going on, because he said that the Lord has hidden from me what's going on. He hasn't told me why she's here. And then Elisha does something very interesting in order to get him back to life, and he is revived, just like his master did. And then you see another small miracle he does is that apparently some guy thought, hey, let's find these wild gourds, throw some herbs on them, and uh, we'll make a stew out of it. And then they tasted it, and it was basically poison. <laughs> it either tasted so bad that they thought it was poisoned, or it really was poisoned. And so they were like, Master, oh no, we're, we're going to die. It tastes like poison. So then he spread some meal over it, and... Apparently, and then it was good after that. I don't know if it changed the taste any or, or what, but after that it was able to be eaten. And then we see the rather famous story of Elisha and Naaman. Now, Naaman had everything that you could ask for. He was a valiant warrior. He was rich. He was powerful. He had fame. But he had one secret problem. He was a leper. Only a select few people knew about it. Obviously, his wife... The king knew about it, and this little girl that was taken as a slave from Israel. And she was talking about a prophet that could heal leprosy. She had faith, little childlike faith, in Elisha's ability to heal through God. Naaman's like, really? You can heal leprosy? Well, let me write a letter to the king of Israel and see if they can get Elisha to do that for me. And he brought a bunch of reward for it as well. And then so the king of Israel opened the letter and read it. And he's like, what? He's like, I'm not God to make your, to kill or to make alive. Why is he sending this word to me to cure leprosy? I can't do that. And so instead of thinking like, instead of thinking that, oh, maybe it's the prophet that we should ask. He, his immediate response was, they're doing this on purpose to give them a reason to fight with me. They're seeking a quarrel against me. That's what that means. It's like, look, he's making up some ridiculous demand for something that he knows I can't do. And then when he finds out I can't do it, he's just going to use that as a reason to go to war with me. And so he was freaking out. And then Elisha's like, why are you freaking out? Tell him to come to me, and I'll take care of it. So then... Naaman goes out, and again, this is the general, uh, the captain of the army of Aram, and he thinks he's very important and very dignified and, you know, kind of a celebrity. And so when he goes to Elisha, Elisha doesn't treat him like that. He doesn't treat him like a celebrity. He doesn't treat him like he's anyone important. Because he knows that we are all equal in the sight of God. We are all equally useless, except for those that he chooses to give purpose, of course. And Naaman is frustrated because Elisha himself would not come out to say to see him. Instead, he told him to wash in the Jordan seven times. And to him, that was a ridiculous request. 
he threw a little fit, right? He's like, why can't he come out to me and just call the name of the Lord to heal me and just wave his hand over the spot where my leprosy is and it magically goes away? Why can't he do that? Why can't I wash in the rivers that I want to wash in? These waters here in Israel are nothing compared to where I'm from. And so he's throwing a little fit, you know, because his pride was injured. But his servants saved his life in this way. Because they pulled him aside and they're like, Sir, if he told you to do some ridiculously crazy thing, you probably would have done it. So why is it a big deal for you to wash in this river? What do you have to lose? Except your leprosy. And he's like, he probably, he doesn't say, but he probably, all right, you got a point. So he went and he did it. And it said that his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Man, oh man, you can hear the ladies just screaming when they see this one. As we get older, we want our skin to go back to the way it was when we were little kids. So fresh and supple and quick to heal from injuries. And and he had that. He was not just cleaned, but he was renewed in a way that only God can do it. He was basically regenerated in a lot of ways. There is some symbolism there, but we can get into that later. And this, he, he believes in the Lord at that point. And he tries to give Elisha all these presents, and he says, no, I don't want them. So then he goes, and, he's, and he says, I'm going to worship the Lord from now on. But he didn't understand that how God is a universal God. Because it said that, I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. So he thought geographically God resided in Israel. And so that's why he said as well, let me take two mules worth of dirt from Israel, because that way he has some sort of tie, some sort of connection to God through this dirt. Now, you don't see Elisha correct him. And there's probably something to it in that. So he's going to take this dirt back to his land to worship God, but he is required to go into the house of a different god, the god of Ramon, and he knows that when he goes in there, when he bows, he's actually bowing to the Lord, and Elisha basically tells him that God would understand, and only no, he knows his heart. But then you see Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, get greedy. He wants some of that stuff that Elisha just, for some reason, just passed on. So he went and took some of it, and then Elisha called him out on it, because not only did Gehazi lie, but he did it such in a sneaky way, got greedy, that he's like, all right, well, you like this stuff so much, then you can have the leprosy too. And so Gehazi got his leprosy. Then you see a, a very small miracle, but a very interesting one in chapter 6, these prophets were trying to build themselves a bigger place for them to live in, and then they were borrowing axes. That's how poor they were. They were having to borrow people's axes. And then when they were swinging the, the axe, one of them flew off and landed in the water, and he was freaking out. I borrowed that axe, and I can't repay it. What do I do, master? And he said, show me where you threw it in the water. And then he got a little stick through it there, and he made the axe float. Obviously, this is a miracle. Iron does not float. 
So that's very interesting how he did that. But again, God can defy all logic and all physics. There's nothing too hard for him. And then Elisha does something really crazy with the kingdom of Aram. God had been feeding information to Elisha and was telling the king of Israel where the Arameans are going to be. And so they were always a step or two ahead of the Arameans. And the king of Aram was like, wait a minute, how are they doing this? And so then he brought in his servants and said, okay, which one of you is for the king of Israel? Which one of you is a traitor? Which one of you is a spy? But somehow they said that, no, it's Elisha doing it. He knows what you speak in your bedroom, king. And they believed him. So they went, where is, where is this guy at? Well, he's in Dothan. Okay, well, I'm going to go, let's go get him. So when his attendant, we don't know at this point if it's Gehazi again. I assume not. I'm sure he was kicked out from being his assistant at that point. But one of the attendants of Elisha went out and saw the chariots and the horses surrounding them. And he was like, oh, what are we going to do? They're just going to wipe us out. And Elisha's like, you don't seem to understand. I'm not freaking out. There's a lot more that are on our side than on their side. And you can imagine the attendant is like, Elisha, are you crazy, dude? Look, there's only like two of us, and there's like 20,000 of them. What are you talking about? So then Elisha prays that his spiritual eyes be opened to see what's going on in the spiritual realm. And that just that imagery here just is so amazing, how Elisha was given spiritual sight. And he saw it the whole time. And then he let this guy have a, a sneak peek at it. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the whole mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire. Angel armies. The angel armies were ready to go to war on behalf of Elisha. And through the word of God. And then he says, strike them with blindness. He leads them into the middle of Samaria, the enemy territory. And I can imagine the king of Israel is like, what are you doing? You brought the whole army into the middle of my city. What do you want me to do with him? Shall I kill him? Shall I kill him? I mean, you see it repeated twice. You can tell that there's that intensity like, hey, Elisha, thanks, man. You brought them right into the middle of my town so we can just wipe them out. Thanks. Is it time? Can I kill him now? And he's like, no, you're not going to kill them. You're actually going to love your enemies and you are going to treat them with kindness. I'm sure he didn't argue with him, but I can assure you he was probably like, what? You know, this is crazy, man. But he did it. And so um, this reminds me of Proverbs chapter 25, where it talks about, you know, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink so that you burn heaping coals on his head. That came to mind when I read that. And it says they never came back. They never bothered them again. Well, it says in the text that the marauding bands of Arameans never bothered Israel again. It doesn't say that the army wasn't, but the marauding bands, the, like the bandits and the these little mercenaries kind of thing never came again. But 
The Arameans may not be the ones to pull the final trigger, but the Assyrians are certainly going to capture them at some point. And apparently Samaria gets besieged where even the most worthless of things, a small little bit of pigeon poop is for five shekels of silver. I mean, it is so severe that people are now eating themselves. And you see, and you see that one time where the king is addressing a woman and the woman's like i don't know what to do king what do i do well what's the problem well i mean we both have kids and we said well we'll eat yours today and then we'll eat mine tomorrow and then we so we ate my kid and then now the next day she's not going to let me eat her kid i mean that is so terrible the, the cannibalism where it's like there's no other option but to eat your own children and I pray that in our lifetime, we never even get close to having that even as an option. Nor should it ever be an option. I would rather starve than eat my kids. Besides, it's against the Bible. The Bible says clearly we're not supposed to be cannibals. Cannibalism is a sin, major sin. And plus there's physical ramifications to that as well. Besides the spiritual aspect. And Elisha said, well, things are going to change tomorrow. You're going to be able to buy a, a measure of fine flour for just a shekel and two measures of barley for just a shekel at the gate of Samaria, which a shekel is about 11 grams more or less, 11 grams of silver, which is nothing to them. And so he tells the story about how he God caused the Arameans to flee, making sounds that made it sound like a huge army was going to destroy them, so they just ran for their lives, left everything behind. And these lepers went in and were filled and took some stuff for themselves, and they felt guilty that what we're doing is not right. We need to tell everybody. And so they went to Israel, and they said, hey, they just left a whole camp of stuff out here. The king of Israel is like, no, no, that can't be right. They're probably, it's probably a trap. They probably just left it like that, thinking that they left. And then as soon as we go in there, they're going to ambush us and kill us all. But the guys who were with the king were like, well, we're going to die anyway. We're going to starve. Why don't you just send us anyway? And so they went and found out it was a legit. It was legitimately empty. And they took so much stuff out of there. And then it was exactly as Elisha had said. And those who doubted, which in this case the royal officer that had doubted Elisha, got trampled and killed as Elisha had predicted. The word of the Lord will always come to pass without fail. So I hope that's a lesson for us. And we are not done with Elisha yet. There's still more to come with him. But... So many wonderful things that he did. And I hope we can even have just a fraction of the faith that he had. His miracles can still happen today. We just don't have enough faith. And there are miracles that do happen all the time. But we just need to be recognizing those ones. And worshiping the Lord with all our hearts. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care and God bless you.